But Welcome back to Onto the Ball. I'm your host, Scott Nicholl, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Travis Morgan. And we're joined by a very special guest for this Arsenal season 22-23 review, Neil Riley, big Arsenal fan. He's a, he's a busy, busy man, but we've twisted his arm to come on here tonight um, to go through last season when it looked like the title was in the bag. And for me... Mikel Arteta messed up big time by going strong in the Europa League, getting some big hitters injured, derailed the title charge, and the rest is history, as they say, but we're going to go through it all. Neil, how are you doing? You okay? Thanks for joining us. Uh, not too bad. It's nice to be invited on every now and again, you know, just when you want to stick four into Arsenal. You don't get the invites when you're top of the league, but when you fall off the perch, all of a sudden the phone starts ringing. So, uh, it's good to be on. Good to talk football with you two boys again. Travis, how are you, mate? You okay? Yeah, I'm good. Fresh off Athens, mate. I had a lovely time. So, yeah, it's good to be back. A lot of history out there, some good food and that. So, a bit tired, but I'm ready. I'm ready to see what this guy's got to say about the Gooners. So, I'm ready, bit, mate. I'm ready. bit jet-lagged. I mean, I'm not even sure how this is going to go because, as we mentioned on the last poddy, me and you can't even agree on whether this was a bottle job or Man City were just too strong and using mm. the term bottle job is archaic. <laughs> I had to Google what archaic means. Neil, you're a teacher. You'll know what archaic means. <laughs> but is, is that offensive calling it a bottle job? Neil, take it away. Give me one one sentence about whether it was or wasn't a bottle job, and then we'll get right into it. Summer signings last summer, obviously, Jesus, Zinchenko, we'll take it from there. Was it a bottle uh. job? Yes, I know. It's a hard one to... It all depends what you think of that term. Like, Because I think of a bottle job as you've just absolutely fallen to bits. But when we get into it, and I'm sure we will, analysing the games, and Anfield was really the crunch game. Arsenal were still playing great football. They were still attacking, still, a pre- still pressing. So in that respect, you think in seasons gone by, you think of the, the season they almost won it in 2008 when Edu snapped his ankle at Birmingham. They just fell off then. And yes, that might have been a bottle job. They didn't have the leaders there. Gallas sitting on the pitch. It didn't feel like that this time. But when you get so close um, and these opportunities come around once in a lifetime for footballers, then you can see why rival fans are saying, I mean, nobody else got anywhere close to either of us, but you can see why they're saying, well, you just didn't have the the metal to kind of finish it off. So it's a, we'll bum pick it, I'm sure, for however long we're on this uh poddy for and we'll probably go back and forth and me saying yes it is yes it isn't it's I don't think it's cut and dry as just saying yeah they just fell apart and capitulated and Man City were too good I think it's a combination of a few factors and I know you've alluded about the Europa League so we can we can go all the way back to February and and unpick every single asset of the season and and what happened um, well, one I gave you about 15 so yeah <laughs> still not quite sure if we bottled it <laughs> And in that sense, you also said yes and no. So clear as mud. (laughs) I mean, let's go back to the summer. Obviously, the bounce was going in the group chat. You're looking to catch Man City and Liverpool at that time, signing Man City rejects Zinchenko and Gabriel Jesus. Obviously, they both turned out to be a massive success. And Arsenal seemed to cope with the loss of Gabriel Jesus. Was he injured at the World Cup? Yeah, he got injured second game in and that was him out. And it was 
when the World Cup came around, I know we talk about it a lot. We're not big fans of international football in this group. And it's almost like when they go away for the two weeks, you keep your fingers crossed for whoever the key people in your team are, Virgil van Dijk, whoever it might be, that you just think we don't have that much depth. There were a couple of players that I thought, if they get injured on the way, Granit Xhaka would have been one. We've got cover in that position. Um, and some other areas you thought, that nah, we'll be fine. But there were a couple of positions for Arsenal where you just thought, please, please, please. When Saliba didn't get selected, you were like, great. Jesus was another one. He was the only out-and-out front man underneath that. We know it was Eddie and Ketia. Not really where it fell off, but usually when you win a league, you kick on before Christmas and you can be um, you can be long gone. If you think of when Liverpool won their only coronavirus league, you know, it was long gone before Christmas. Yeah. You don't lose it by then, but you also, you can almost win it at that point where when you do have a bit of a dip. So Eddie and Ketty come in and did okay, but Jesus was one we couldn't have afforded during the World Cup to get injured. And he wasn't first choice, but Charleston was, if you remember. So it was almost a... A bit of he played in a dead rubber in the World Cup, and you just thought, oh, you know, why wasn't he just sitting on the bench? So, um, yeah, it was, that was a bad one to take long term. If you look at the season as a whole, because even when he came back, he he wasn't, he probably wasn't fully fit even right up to the end of the season. Yeah, it felt like they were rushing him in, wasn't it? Yeah. But I don't know why they were rushing him, rushing him in because they were still flying at the top of the league, still winning games, um, but. Obviously, I've made the statement that Arteta lost it for you. And you can't even say that it's a, a lack of experience as a top-flight manager. We're all long in the tooth. We're all obsessed with footy. He's been watching it 30, 40 years. He's been playing it at the highest level. He's been coaching it at the highest level. He's been at Arsenal for two or three, four years. What was Arteta seeing and what was he doing going that strong in the Europa League? What was he thinking? Try to explain it to me, if you can. I actually, when I thought about it, I thought the, his biggest asset was coming from Man City and he'd been involved in that culture where they were win, 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 steamrolling teams. Um, he had that winning mentality, which I think is he turned around at the club where they believed. He's won a couple of trophies since he's been there, the Community Shield, the FA Cup, pressing for the league this year. But I also, on reflection, has been his biggest failing. Because Man City have got the squad, that they go all in the Carling Cup, all in the FA Cup, all in the Champs League and all in, in, the, in the league. And I think that was, that was the big issue. He didn't sit back and reflect and thought, OK, I can go for that at Man City, but at Arsenal, I've got to rein it in almost and just admit that there's an opportunity here in the league. So I think part of his what's been a success, that experience at Man City, has also been his downfall last season because he's gone, we can go for Europa League and League, because that's what we do at City. We go for every trophy. There was a lot of talk in the media. Yes, Arsenal hadn't won the league for you know a long period of time, 2004. But we also haven't won a European trophy in 30 years. So he's like, I, I think that kind of got in his head as well. Can I be the first Arsenal manager to win a European trophy in a long time and also win the league? And I can you know still bob along with um, you know half a squad. But you've got it up there. When you look at the team, and if you think of the rest of the season, and it's not just Saliba, Tommy Asu played such a huge role in the first half of the season, covering, coming in at right back, giving Ben White a bit of a rest. It would have also given Ben White an option to fill in at centre half if Saliba got injured and Tommy Asu wasn't. Both of those went out in that game all season. So they've both been injured for the full season. 
there's if you look, that's the first choice back four, plus Jaco Jorginho and then Jesus and Martinelli. So for a Europa League game against Sporting, not the best team in the world, you've only really dropped in Vieira and Nelson, who are fringe at the time. It's a full-strength yeah. team. So do you think there was an element, and this might sound crazy, that Arteta wasn't confident of winning the league? And he, th- he, he thought, I want to keep the season alive on two fronts. Yeah, I thought he thought, you know, if the league doesn't go the way it's going to go and I fall back and win the Europa League and finish second, it's going to be a great season. I also think it might have just been a bit too much arrogance, that kind of Man City mentality that I can go and win both. And almost got a bit greedy and thought I can do the double here instead of going, right, let's just bed down, get the fringe players in. And if we get beat by Sporting, we get beat. Because if you looked at the games after the Sporting games, they were all winnable, you know, with a full strength team. And after that, we picked up a minimal amount of points. Uh, We beat Leeds 4-1, but the goals started creeping in. We didn't keep a clean sheet with Saliba out. And he'd been so good that season. And he'd had injury problems when he was on loan in France. So we'd already had injury problems the season before and the season before when he was on loan. He's a young man growing into his body. He was one player that if you wanted to play Gabriel, who played every game in the league, and maybe push Ben White in there and still go quite strong, there were a couple of players that you just could not risk. You just couldn't risk. Um, and it proved it. I mean, if you look at you look there, I mean, they conceded in every game after, even though we won a couple, you know, we were leaking goals. You think of the Liverpool game, we probably would have seen that out with Saliba in. Probably the Southampton game. Say you still lose to Man City. You, we were doing well by being tight at the back and then winning games. So it was a... I just... It was a bad managerial decision to go for it in the Europa League. So that's on Arteta? Yeah. Unfortunately. And you can get injured at any point in the season. We might have played oh, the Europa we might have played the Europa League game, came back and, you know, somebody got injured against Palace. But, you, you know, he was probably fatigued already. He'd already got injury problems. And this is from somebody who just watches football. I've, I've seen his trajectory since he's been on loan and we bought him. Um, he has picked up muscle injuries. He picked up a back injury this time. But he's growing into his body. So you just think you rest him up, play him once a week, your key players. And there's enough squad to get your Nelsons in, etc. in the league. Is that something that Arteta is notorious for? Like, <clears throat> Do you think the season before, it was the same? You know, when it, it felt like he hadn't learned from that. We missed out on top four for similar similar reasons. I, I felt we didn't play the right team at the right time. He, you know, the old Ranieri tinker man. But I think part of his success is part of his failings because he's been in that Man City dressing room where you go for everything. You and know, you, you can think, rotate and, and it doesn't have yeah, an impact on the lineup. Yeah, Man City will be in the Carling Cup playing Erling Haaland and you'll be thinking, what the hell are you doing? He could get his leg broken away at, you know, third division, whoever on a bobbly pitch. But Alvarez you know, just comes in and it's no problem. Yeah, isn't it? I mean, he could have just sat back and gone, we're not quite there yet. Yeah, maybe in two, three years' time. I know the famous quote where he said to Willian, I'm going to win the Champions League in three years and I want you with me. You know, Willian was <laughs> dog food and, you know, we didn't even get into the bloody Europa League at the time. So... So, yeah, I mean, when, you, when you start putting the in, you know, the kind of in Premier League things that happened in motion, you go, is it a bottle job? Was it bad decisions? But if you if we go all the way back to the summer, you look at every single pundit and they did their league predictions. Not one 
not one pundit put Arsenal in the top six. Yeah, but that that doesn't keep you. I know, I know, right, does it? I know, you, I know what you're going to say. I mean, we did one, and I know yours is. We're all a bit tongue and cheek about each other, but you put Arsenal, I think, ninth behind, you know, Leicester and West Ham. So nobody felt we were even going to get top four. And mm. if Arsenal had uh, plodded along and then had a, a big surge at the end and almost, you know, finished five points off Man City, the narrative would be different now. But because you start strong and you end poorly, that's where all the questions are going to be asked. But that, that was the thing for me. Because Arsenal were flying, Pep got rid of, like, Cancelo. He was experimenting, you'd have to call it, without a left-back. He was bringing in this three, box three that's in the fashion now, so it wasn't clicking straight away. They were getting called one-dimensional with Haaland. Some people were even saying that Alvarez should be in the starting lineup ahead of uh, Haaland. He was resting Kevin De Bruyne like no one's business, which just seemed odd to everyone. There was a chance there for Arsenal to just power on. And obviously Arteta, whatever he was thinking, going strong in two competitions, maybe trying to eye both. Maybe he thought that the, the squad had the capability to win both. But what an what an end to the season to finish potless because you didn't win anything in the end. And if you look at that graphic there, obviously I've got the experience of this because Liverpool have bottled the league what, about four times in the last 10 years. But yeah, that... You could say that, or you could say 30 times in the last 31. So, <laughs> that graphic there reminds me of 2013 14. Yeah, Brendan Rogers. Brendan Rogers, Martin Skirtle at the back with um, not Daniel Agger. Who was it he was always at the back with? Mamadou Sacco. Yeah. Daniel Agger couldn't get in, but we were conceding goals for fun. We were winning games, a lot of them, like Man City 3 2, Norwich 3 2. And we couldn't keep a clean sheet at all. And we didn't get over the line. And clean sheets are what you need to win leagues. Let's be honest. Um, it, but at what point, Neil? Because obviously, I know we had a lot of banter in the group chat. And I was like, right, it's uh, it's on. It's Arsenal's now. And you were like, no, nah, it, it won't be. City will still win it. I'm not sure if it was a bit of reverse psychology. But was there a moment where you thought, that's it, it's in the bag now. Like for me in 13-14, it was when we beat Man City 3-2. I thought, that is it, it's done. Was there a point where you... It was always... So I said, it? I said, if we can go away and beat Liverpool, we'll win the league. Uh, that, In my opinion, like we may never have won it. So when we were 2-0 up and flying and Liverpool couldn't touch the ball, Anfield was flat and it looked like we were probably going to go and win by four. So what was that, 38 minutes into that game, I thought, we're, we're going to win the league because yeah. Liverpool were nowhere and then they get one. Just before, If probably get to half-time, we've won the league. They get one, they get two, they nearly win it. And then there's a moment right at the end of the game that nobody talks about where there's an easy pass from Saka to Martinelli or you can just go wide to Trossard and we probably win the game 3-2. Um, hey, I just yeah, I think from there, we'd beat West Ham, we'd beat Southampton, get beat by Man City even, and then we'd still end up winning the league. So for me, it was always, if we went away to Anfield and won, we'd win it. So when we're 2-0 up and Liverpool can't touch a ball and you were all over the place then, I thought, this is it. If we see this game out, the league's done. The demoralisation for Man City, probably start concentrating on the Champions League and we'd probably win it by, you know, four or five points. As soon as it went 2-2 and we, we didn't win the game, it was 
And it was the manner we didn't lose a game. Similar, that game sort of sums up the season. If we're 2-0 down to Liverpool and we come back to two each, you know, it's like, what a great point. It's and a you, victory, you yeah. That yeah. And that's how the league petered out. Started well, finished poorly. So, yeah, Neil. 30 minutes into Anfield, I thought, that's it. If we can see this out, we've won it. As soon as we drew, I thought, I just, I couldn't see it. What? So, it. in that one game, that was going to be my next question. At what point did you... Because obviously, coming away from Manfield with a point normally is a, a good point, right? Even though Liverpool weren't that well. But at what point were you like, that's the league gone now? Was it that it game was, still or was it as soon yeah. as Man City went ahead in the league? No, it was that game. So as soon oh. as the second half, we got blown away, really. And we looked like Arsenal under Unai Emery. All over the place, clinging on. Could have lost the game. Ramsdale makes a couple of amazing saves late on. Still could have won it, and you know, still it was really won. open, weren't it? But it was, and that's the point. I just think the Europa League situation that happened, and then Saliba being out, and all of a sudden, where Arsenal weren't conceding goals and looking in control of games, all of a sudden it was a basketball match every game, and it was just then similar to Liverpool when they were with Brendan Rodgers, they were playing great football, but it was a basketball match every game, and you just couldn't predict if they were going to go and win a game, draw a game, lose one on the counter. And that's where we got to. It was just frenetic. And there were too many frenetic games left because, you know, we still had a truckload of games to play. Travis, you were two-footed in with Arsenal. Yeah. You were adamant of weeks and probably months. Yeah, months. And even though I was trying to wind Neil up saying you'll, you'll still bottle it, but, and you were like, it's done, dusted. Can yeah. you really believe what happened? I mean, what did no, they want to before? No. They was, dropped in six of the last eight games. There must have been something in the camp where where the heads had just gone for some reason. I, I, I don't know what, what you can put it down to, really, because I think it's an experience thing. It must be. like They just lacked a couple of leaders at the time just to like gather the troops because after that Liverpool game where they drew and they should have, like you said, the second half, they did get blown away. But the West Ham game was exactly the same. Afterwards, they threw away a two-goal lead as well. So, for me, there was just something missing in the camp that they just weren't able to see those games out, even with, with the injuries that they had. I, I didn't think it was enough of an excuse. Yes, the drop-off is going to be a lot bigger because Saliba's outstanding. But if you look at the games they were losing or dropping points in, I mean, West Ham... Southampton, if you scroll up, you've got Nottingham Forest as well in there. The, those games, really, this just they those games should have been won to put a, a lot of pressure because there were still quite a few games left. I think there were still about eight, seven games left to put pressure on City. Arsenal played a lot of their fixtures first as well. So for me, it was a little bit of a mentality thing and, and similar to United in some ways, not necessarily this season, but I think Arsenal for quite a long time have lacked an out-and-out -out goal scorer that can win Arsenal games even when they're not playing well. And I think as well as Jesus did, I think, I don't know what his league goal return was. Was it about 10 goals or something? Eight goals in the league? Yeah, not 10. Yeah. Um, yeah, and he, I mean, he was injured for a long part, but uh, yeah, no, was, yeah. Yeah, no, I agree with you, Trav, because when I've been looking at the transfers this, this summer, so it looks like we're bringing in Havertz, Rice, Timber, you know, for the best part of 200 million. And I was thinking, I mean, 
people are saying, oh, you, you can't get Mbappe. And I'm not saying we can, but just yeah. say in the round, he's worth 150. Yeah, that's what Paris Saint-Germain won last year of his contract. So if we'd had Rice and, say, Havertz in our team last year, or Mbappe, which would more than, you know... Mbappe is more likely to be the title. won us the league last year. Mbappe all day. And still, yeah. in this, I know we're going to get onto the window in a little bit, but then that's where I'm looking at this window at the moment, thinking, all right, you plop those three potential or maybe one more um, in the Arsenal team. Would they have won the league last last year? That's a, a question we'll get onto, I'm sure, in a bit of time. Yeah, yeah. We, will, we will get onto that, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's get back to January, the January tra- transfer window, and let's get to a now legendary post by yours truly, where Arsenal are spending twelve million on Jorginho, and I said, Arteta, you don't have to spend every penny of Cronky's money. Put your wallet away. <laughs> was, there, was there an element of Claudio Ranieri, Tinkerman from Arteta signing Trossard, signing Jorginho, messing around with the front three to drop Trossard in there? Messing around, putting Jorginho in to try and rest party, Xhaka, or were them signings needed? And even without them, that could be seen as rocking the boat, maybe. Some, sometimes I thought um, Trussell did all right. I thought, yeah, he did, he, he did do all right, but sometimes it's like it's not broke, don't fix it, don't rock the yeah, apple. Well, you see, I, again, I think this falls on Arteta, and I don't think it's the signings because actually Trossard came in and he got seven assists and three goals in the first four games. Um, Jorginho has brought experience because you're talking about they didn't have leaders and experience in the team, slow games down, uh, control more of the ball, won a Champions League, etc. So I don't think the signings were the problem. But when you looked at, if you go back and analyse the games when they were brought in, the times they were brought on, or a game needed changing, managerial-wise, I felt when they started, they shouldn't have. When they came on, they came on at the wrong time or they came on in the wrong game. So I don't think it was the, the, the signings. I think actually when you looked at it, you've got a guy from Brighton who gives a dip, different option, can play as a nine um, or can play on the wing. Uh, he, he can go both ways. He can get goals, he can get assists. And Trossard is a little bit different from what you've got in Martinelli and Saka. It gives them a bit of a rest as Jesus was coming back from injury. I thought that was perfect. Played him really well in the first couple of games. When almost the... Pre- I put this a lot down to pressure, and this goes back to your bottling thing. When the pressure was off almost because we're flying, there's still you know however many games to go. But as the pressure started mounting, it was, well, that's a game Trossard should be playing in, didn't play. He should be coming on now, didn't come on. Well, actually, he should be coming on as the false nine came on on the left wing when Martinelli was having a great game. Yeah. So I, I think it was less so the personnel, but more the tinker man kind of... I don't think Mikel Arteta used him in the right way. Similarly for Jorginho, you looked at a couple of games where you've gone, all right, that's the right game for him to play. And just because he had a good game the day before, or the week before, the game before, uh, you know, he should have been dropped the game after because the way the team set up, that was for then Partey to come back in or Xhaka in his more forward role. So I just felt he didn't get it right enough times in the running with those two players. You know, where it worked well, Trossard was getting goals and assists, played to his strengths. Where it didn't work well, it was almost square pegs, round holes. So yeah. um, I think the signings weren't the problem. I think it was how he ultimately used them when the pressure was on. 
yeah. when they both first came in, it was like, you play here, you play here, we're playing beautiful football, we're blowing everybody away, no problem. Couple of knocks, you had Europa League game, then all of a sudden it was a bit of overthinking of how do I utilise these two assets that I've got? Travis, our mm. is ears burning because Neil's gone in on him for 25 minutes solid now. <laughs> <laughs> No, Neil's right with what you're saying. Like you said, I mean, Arteta, I think he's done a brilliant job. Arsenal are definitely going in the right direction for me when I look at them. But like you said, I think when the pressure when the pressure was on in that run in the last 10, 12 games, he probably didn't get enough of those bigger decisions right. And it ultimately sort of... I think it's sort of... The team lost confidence. Like, if you look at the defeats, like the Brighton game, again, was another one where... It, it, it should never be 3-0 at the Emirates to Brighton. I mean, Brighton are a fantastic footballing team, but it just seemed like if Arsenal went sort of behind in certain games during the running, you just knew, you just didn't have any confidence that they were going to get back into the game to go on and win it. And again, that is like succumbing to the pressure, definitely. I think they felt it. And especially with Man City chasing them down. You, you know what it's like when Man City chase you down. They've chased us, not recently, but they've chased Liverpool numerous on numerous occasions. So you know exactly what it's like when when Man City are in the groove, you just know they're going to win 12-13 on the spin. Arsenal probably felt psychologically that they had to be more or less perfect to go on and win the title. Where, where For me, I didn't think they had to be perfect. I think they needed to hang in there. They needed to... Go to City. If they lost to City, fine. But then win all the games in and around it, playing first, put that pressure back in onto City. And I think we would have seen a closer title race than we did see. But I think the last five games, it just went down with a bit of a whimper. So, yeah, I think the pressure definitely told. I think that was one of Arsenal's strengths early in the season or right up past the middle of the season, wasn't it, Neil? If they went a goal down, it seemed to galvanise them and they'd come back yeah. harder. And be, they'd have yeah. it back to one and each 10 minutes keep- later. And that's where I couldn't answer the question straight with the, the the kind of bottling question because earlier on in the season, all the stuff we're talking about wasn't there. You know, when the chips were down, there were leaders there, people were pulling the team together. They, they'd go a goal down, two goals down, they'd still win the game and they were talking about this spirit that they didn't have before. This is before Christmas. But I just felt psychologically, and if we, I know we're going to get on to the Europa League game, but there were a couple of players in that team that needed to stay fit and play. Because it was almost, there was almost a bit of a mystique, if we look at about Saliba, around him with opposition. A bit like when Van Dijk first came to Liverpool. Nobody wanted, and it, nobody wanted to take him on after the first couple of weeks. He's got the pace, he's got the height, he's got the athleticism. He could build up from the back. Nobody kind of stepped into him because they knew he was probably going to find the right pass and, you know, they'd be a man short in midfield. You know, Jesus was a big psychological one. It was all spoken about in the media. We forget Zinchenko missed a lot of the season through injury, as good as he was. Yeah. So I think there are a couple of players who, in that running, some of the other players had to look at and go, do you know what? We've got Ramsdale, we've got Saliba, we've got, you know, Partey, we've got Jesus, all fit, all firing, we'll be all right. And then the, the other bits around it would have been fine. But really, Party was in and out and injured in the running. Jesus was coming back from a long-term injury. Saliba didn't make it, and you know Ramsdale was probably the you know the common denominator in there. Um, so I think all the other players looked round, and that's what made them lose confidence. If a ball went in behind, and it was earlier on in the season, you think Saliba's going to sweep that up and we'll be back on the counter. 
you know, Jesus is going to find a little pocket of space somewhere. Party's going to break between the lines and find a 40-yard ball. And none of that was really there and it all got a bit clunky. You were relying on Rob Holden to be the last man. <laughs> Basically, yeah. <laughs> and we all know what the outcome of that is. Hey, he's um, better than Cannavaro, so the chant goes, you know. <laughs> Right, listen, let's let's get straight on to the summer because I've referenced Liverpool in 13-14. I knew that was once, not once in a lifetime, but I knew that was our chance and it wasn't the start of a two to three year pressure to win the league. I knew Suarez was going to leave. He did. It all fell apart. We signed Lalana, Lovren, Mario Balotelli. It was absolutely horrendous. This is nothing like it, Arsenal. Stan Kroenke is going on an absolute mad one. I don't know what's happened. I think he's fell out of his family. He's going to make sure there's no, there's no inheritance left for his kids. He's just going to... He's probably in a room right now with a load of hookers in Vegas. Um, <laughs> FaceTiming Mikel Arteta, signing off another 300 million. But I don't know what's happened to Arsenal. But Stan Kroenke is absolutely going for it. You must be so excited, Neil, because you're 200 million in. And it's only just the start of July. You're going to spend another 300 million, aren't you? Yeah. And if we go back to last summer when we all sat here with the business done, not underwhelmed, but we're all a bit like, like you said, okay, a couple of people that didn't make it at Man City, technically, you've signed them. And uh, a couple of other signings, Saliba's like a new signing. Oh, yeah, he's gone and, you know, had a good couple of good seasons in France. And nobody was pulling up any trees or thinking Arsenal were the next big thing. And then you look at the age of the squad and what they've done and the experience. And then a few years ago, you know, there were the marches against the Cronkies. I think what had happened was there was the, the buyout of the club. So we had a, you know, a, he built his stake up over time. Usmanov, the big Russian billionaire, really wanted the club. It was blocked by the board. Um, you know, at the time, share prices went up. Cronky ended up taking the shares. And I think in fairness to him, he's got three or four franchises that he's turned all of them around that haven't won competitions in a long time, the Denver Nuggets and, you know, a few others where I think he's focused on his American teams. He put his son in charge of Arsenal, Josh Kroenke. Uh, you know, he said, uh, you know, 18 months ago, be excited. There's exciting things to come. And it's almost like it's got to the next port of his project. His finances are through the roof at the moment. I think he's gone to 15 billion, his net worth. When he took over, it was 7 billion. So it almost seems like Arsenal's his next project to try and prove his point, which, yeah, like you said, at the end of this season, we're not a selling club. We're getting rid of a bit of dead wood again. We got rid of a lot of dead wood over the last two years. You're Obama, Yang, Jurezels. It's a young squad. So, you know, Saka's still growing, Martinelli. And then you're going for the best, you know, players around. Timber's been, you know, Ajax's number one centre-half, can, you know, can play right back as well. Uh, I know United have been interested in him in the past. Then you've gone for Declan Rice, probably the, the most sought-after midfielder in England at the moment. Mm. Uh, and, and, they're not done, and they're not done there. You've gone for Havertz, which is a, people say is a strange one, but when he was at Leverkusen, he was, a, he was the next big thing, you know? So he's, he's tall, he's got, he's got skill if he's played in the right position. He adds to that front six, which it is now, um, seven with Emil Smith-Rose strength and depth, he's got experience. And they're still looking at, you know, potentially another, you know, another defender or right back. Um, I'd still like to see a goal scorer in the mix somewhere mm. if we could get one, um, you know, just an Mbappe or, you know, someone small, you know. Just, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I you thought that advert was that striker that you're bringing in, but nah. like sell it to me. Is so there's been mention that he's been brought in as an eight with Odegaard. So are we looking at a kind of Jurgen Klopp signing Ginny Wanyaldum because he was a forward at Newcastle? Yeah, um, I just think Havertz everyone's up top. Is I think we'll only find him? out when the season starts. Now Arteta's seen something in him to pay that money, and almost it's been his first signing really this summer. But the rice deal's been in the background, but he's really wanted him. He's obviously really wanted him because he's seen a gap. And I think we're all second guessing. You know what Mikel Arteta's done with a couple of players? Granite Xhaka played in a completely different role this year. People are saying, how's he popping up in the box? He's a DMF. So I think we'll only find out when the season starts, a bit of pre-season, where he actually fancies him. A lot of the journalists are saying, oh, he's an eight. He's going to play on the wing. Oh, he's going to be a false nine. He's going to play in the Xhaka role. So I think we'll just see when... When he gets in, what is he going to do with Rice, Party, um, you know, Odegaard, Smith Rowe? When you start naming it, you've got an embarrassment of riches there. But I don't think any of us know where he's going to play because he's had such an up and down time at Chelsea. He's been played out of position a lot. At Leverkusen, his goal record was, you know, and assists were insatiable. He was getting a goal and assist a game. That's why he was obviously bought for big money. Um, And Chelsea have been through turmoil at the moment. So, could be a Willian, where it all just goes completely wrong. You know, could be a stroke of genius, a, a Trossard or someone that's getting goals and assists. We, we just have to wait and see. I think the worst bit about it for me as a Liverpool fan, a rival fan, is it's not just the incomings. You're making great outgoings. Like, if you get good money for Xhaka, I've seen that he's uh, linked with a 21 million move, or has it gone through today? Yeah, um, I think he has, yeah, 28 euros. So I don't know what that is, 24 million. And, like that. and then Thomas Partey, he's just turned 30. So if you can get good fees in for them and then upgrade them with 22, 23 years, year olds, like, is that absolutely cooking? I mean, Cronky uh, must be licking his lips that Partey's been linked with Saudi Arabia because they're, they've been quoted at paying 45 million for him. You know, they're trying to get players in on big money. And if, you can see, uh, I like him, but he's he's been injury prone. I think the Premier League's a bit too tough for him. Um, yeah, in order for his body to get through a season, if you could get the best part of 60 million for the two of them, like you say, wrong side of 30, you've got a young squad. Keep Jorginho, you know, I'd keep him because he costs peanuts. He's not on a great wage, but work with those. Get Rice in, he's a captain. Um, yeah, and there's still more business to be done. So we'll probably get maybe one or two more in on top of those. Travis, hit me. Kai Havertz, come on. I've got a reputation for saying that everyone is hard, hasn't he, Neil? No. Kai Havertz. <laughs> is he going to be a Havertz isn't. I know he's, he's dead. That's he's it. a poor player, poor player. No, for me, <laughs> where I can see him fitting in is, is actually as a false nine, similar to what Firmino's done at Liverpool over the past few years. I think he'll give real competition to Jesus, if I'm honest with you, because I think with the wide forwards Arsenal have got, and if Smith Rowe can get himself up and running as well, and the amount of goals Odegaard scores, he might actually supplement that blow a little bit and play as a false nine with the wide forwards making inverted runs, similar to what Salah and Mane did. That's where I can see him fitting in. I know a lot of people have said that he can be a a bit of an eight in midfield, like two eights with Odegaard and stuff, but I'm just not sure how the balance of that team would work with Rice as a six. I think Rice has got too much to his game to be an out-and-out sitter. 
But like you said, I mean, if the outs come with um, Party and Jacker, I know Arsenal have been linked with Lavia as well. So if they could get Lavia over the line with Rice, I could see them to a sort of like a little bit of a double pivot. Rice as an eight with that license to just sort of get around the pitch. And then Odegaard in front with Havertz as a false nine and Saka and Martinelli either side. I think that makes for a really exciting side. But I think it's important still that Arsenal keep the balance of the team and they don't just sign a lot of these sought-after players without putting a team together because that's what I think Arteta has been doing really well so far. So for me, I think if they're not going to go and sign a striker that scores goals, I think the ideal person for Arsenal as well, this is, might sound a little bit weird and a bit of a controversial take, but I think Ivan Tony would be quite a good signing. I know he's banned now, but just I think he fits the Arsenal mould. He can go in behind, he can hold it. He scores goals as well. Do you know what I mean? He's just a goal scorer. He just he gives Arsenal that little bit something a little bit different. Not scoring the pretty goals all the time. You know, Arsenal are known for their really well worked goals and patterns of play and stuff. But I think Ivan Tony would just give them that little bit of a different dimension. He, he can be a target man, and I think they could get him on the cheap as well because of his ban. He's actually available in January, so they might save it to the January window. I know they were linked with him last summer vaguely as well, so they might be back in for him. So that could be an interesting one. But back to your question, Havertz, yeah. I can see as a false yeah. name. Yeah, go on. Serious question about Tony, because it's been brought up a couple of times. Do you think mm. he's a bit of a gamble? <laughs> <laughs> you bet he is, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Ivan Tony. What are, what are the odds honestly, on that? Nah, I'm serious. I'd take a punt on it, honestly. <laughs> right, you heard it first. Ivan Tony to Arsenal from Travrizio Romano. Um, <laughs> Neil, let's finish up with one question. And I'm not putting you on the spot here, and I'm not going to make a short out of it come May 2024. Are Arsenal going to challenge City for the league again? Are you going to build on last season? Yeah, I think just from what you'd said, Scott, it's not like the that season with Brendan Rodgers where it was all or nothing because you know Salah and Suarez was moving on at the time and the, the team needed a, a proper rebuild and it was we don't win it now. I know you obviously went on in the, the, the fake Corona League and scooped a title then, but <laughs> at that time it it really felt like this was the chance. And it almost felt like that a bit at the end of last season where we were deflated. Will we ever get that again? Because Man City, this machine, and then boom, all of a sudden we're putting 90 million in for Rice, Havertz, and it, it feels different. So I'm not saying we're going to win it, but the business I see that we're doing, and I always think Man City, when they have a real strong season, the season after Guardiola usually goes with what he's got and says, ah, you know, I don't need a, a whoever, who whoever. Um, it, and we could get maybe lucky in that season next year that they don't go big. Um, you've also got Champions League to contend with as well. Yeah. So that throws it into the mix. Big squad needed. That's what you're asking. Are we doing the double? Probably. Treble, um, maybe. Quad, definitely. <laughs> the quintuple. <laughs> the quintuple with the Community Shield. It's on. Um, well, we're in the community uh, shield now, aren't we? By proxy of just Man City winning everything. Yeah. <laughs> the first loser gets in the competition. Yeah, look, personally, and I'm sure Trav will echo me. If Man City don't win it, it's Arsenal's. Trav, do you agree? 
Yeah. Everyone else is just miles off, let's be it honest. It feels like a project at Arsenal. I think even if you're not an Arsenal fan, you can look at what they're doing and you can see something building, you can see something brewing. I mean, like when Klopp took, took over Liverpool, it took him four years to get the team to where it wanted to be. Will this be Arteta's third full season this yeah, year? Yeah. Third, yeah. Full season, yeah, third full season. Yeah, so you can see... I mean, they've still got another year after this where you probably think, right, he'll probably feel at that point they're ready, ready. And 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 I think if they go and sign Declan Rice, Timber, like it looks like Havertz is in, and, and maybe add one or two more with a couple of outs, I think they'll go really close again. I don't think United are going to do a good, enough good business to sort of bridge that gap. Liverpool, you just don't know what you're going to get from them. They've made a couple of good, strong signings, but again, Players like Nunes and stuff, you, you need to see how they're going to react their second season. Chelsea, I, I think... To be got... fair, I think Nunes will do well on loan in the Championship next year. Goals, <laughs> you know, gets confidence up. Straight disrespect. Chelsea have got too much ground to make up, I think, from last season. I don't Poch know, Poch is a good signing. He, he's Poch, a great signing. He is a great signing. I mean, they are getting rid of a lot of dead wood. I mean, I'm, I, I remember thinking... They're going to end up selling £400 million worth of players before they even start doing any business. I know, all man. to Saudi Arabia and it's all corrupt. Boys, well, have, have you done a Liverpool review, season review yet? What do you yeah. mean? Are you try to say you haven't watched it? <laughs> Come on, support the channel. He hasn't watched well, it. <laughs> He's why, too busy, mate. Why, why do you not invite me on that one? <laughs> <laughs> You're scared of what's coming. Got lost You're too busy paper. with Ofsted, aren't you? <laughs> all, I, all I know is the... Um, the link didn't come when the Liverpool review was happening. <laughs> I just got the link after when it was all finished. Scotty wanted was, a safe space. It was a short one, to be honest. There wasn't much yeah. to talk about. You want to look after um, your own well-being. What do you do? Just hide in the corner and cower. <laughs> right, listen, on that note, we're going to end it there. That's 41 minutes. Um, if anyone's made it this far, don't forget to hit the like and subscribe leave us some comments let us know if neil's been well received if we should invite him on to future potties or if you just prefer it when it's me and the main man trav um but listen get the, neil... get the likes down you need the gooner in there <laughs> neil trav thanks for joining us we'll see yeah, you on the next poddy trav i don't know when that is we probably won't see neil for another three months <laughs> um but yeah we'll be back soon don't forget to hit the like and subscribe get me Cheers, back on Get me back on the Mbappe poddy when it happens, yeah? Yeah. Mbappe unveiled. Peace out, brothers. We've been onto the ball. Oh, you beauty! What a hell!